All right. I'm going to add a little bit more. Holy Spirit, we just thank you. Um, Holy Spirit, we just thank you that you are here, that you were sent by um, Jesus to teach us all things as we can bear them. I'm asking that you would give us an increased capacity to bear um, what's true, that you take us into the next thing that you have for us, that we'd see it uh, together, but individually, that each, each one of us would see it the way that we see it, but we'd know that you're showing it to us individually and to, together. And so I'm asking, would you come right now and eradicate any fear from this place in Jesus' name? Any assignment of doubt, I bind it in Jesus' name. I said, take it out of here. Uh, any assignment of impatience, take it out of here in Jesus' name. And any anxiety, I bind anxiety in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for peace. I just thank you that um, you're going to say things this morning that even angels desire to look into. Would you help us to feel that in Jesus' name? Amen. Okay, hearing God. I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk to you this morning about hearing God. It's one of our core values, so this is actually part of the, the, the series of messages that David kind of initiated um, a couple of months ago about the core values, just revisiting the core values of Lighthop, why it is that we gather, why we feel like God's given us this building to come and meet in, why we do prayer meetings throughout the week, why we uh, have even Sunday morning services that are organized the way that they are. The core values are what God is using to kind of flesh those things out for us. And so one of those core values is to commit to being a prophetic people to, to hearing God. And I'm not quoting you the whole thing. Um, and I actually took it out of the notes. I had it at the header of the notes, but it made my notes go five pages, and I don't like five-page notes. I like four-page notes, so I took it out. So you can look it up for yourself on the website if you want to. But the idea is that hearing God is actually one of the core values of this place. And I want to talk a little bit about that because that can be very... Um, Daunting, unsettling, shame-bringing. There's a lot of things that trying to hear God actually does. And if we'll look at what the Bible says about it, we'll get liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So the idea that you got to hear God, it shouldn't be a burden. It should actually be, wow, it's possible to hear God. But you have to frame it biblically. So God, he actually likes faith. He likes that we hear him faintly right now. And that we choose to believe things that he shows us dimly. In fact, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13, that we all see dimly. And then he likes when we choose to believe the thing that actually takes some effort to believe. It says it pleases him when we believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And that's one of the definitions of faith in Hebrews 11. So this is question number one or item number one. What were you saved into? What were you personally saved into when you, when you decided, I'm a follower of Yeshua, I'm a follower of Jesus? What were you saved into? Romans 4, 3. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So if you're saved into the God of the Bible, Jehovah, and his son, Jesus, Yeshua, then you're actually in this family of God that started with a man named Abraham. And Abraham 
was actually the rock from which we were hewn, is what it's, the way it says it in, I think, in Isaiah. It says, look to the rock from which you were hewn. He's, and God is talking to Israel. He's saying, look at the way that I dealt with Abraham if you want to know how I want to deal with you. And when, we're, when we believe in Jesus, we're grafted into the same root according to Romans 10 and 11. Okay? So it says, Abraham believed God. Everybody say believe. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. That was the first thing God looked at Abraham doing, and he was like, that's righteousness. He's looking at the whole earth, filthy, stained with sin, self-will. Adam and Eve completely broke the human race. And he looks at Abraham believing God, and he says, that's righteousness. Do you feel that way when you believe God? Do you feel righteous when you believe God? Or do you feel righteous when you do something that you think God likes? But he said no. He did things I like because he believed me. It was the believing me that made him righteous. Do you see what I'm saying? And this passage will bear it out, so stay with me here. Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So if Abraham did good things for God, he would be of the mistaken mindset that God would owe him something for that. But he didn't do that. He did good things because God gave him the ability to. He just believed God, okay? Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace. And he wants us to count all of our works as grace. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. How many here are ungodly? All of you. Good. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Listen to this again. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies, that's present and future tense, the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as, now Abraham's not the only one, David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those who, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then Paul's asking a question. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Faith was accounted. God, like in the accounting of Abraham's life, it was faith that God accounted as righteousness. Now, let's think for just a second about Abraham's faith. It was Abraham from the get-go. God said it. God's going to do it. I don't need to help him. No one else needs to help him. I'm in this till the end. No. He learned in a process to get to that place, but God counted him righteous when he heard the call of God on his life. Come out from the land of your fathers from Terah and come to the, to the promised land. That's when he started to get called faithful. That's when he gets started to be seen as righteous. But he wasn't perfect at it. It was a process. He was maturing. He was in the process of salvation. And he will be forever. God will always have something new for Abraham to see, know, and do about God forever. That's what makes Abraham's life interesting and good. If he graduated from that, he would, he would just be arrogant dust. But he will never graduate from that, and neither will you. You will always have some righteousness to learn because you'll have some God to learn, and you'll have to choose to believe that he is who he reveals himself to be forever. And that'll be good. You'll want that. That'll be very satisfying. That's why the seraphim, the living creatures, surround him day and night. They never stop crying, holy, holy, holy. And it produces worship in the throne room of God. 
Just as David also describes this, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or on the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. He believed before he did the thing that showed he believed. Do you see what I'm saying? Now, we would tend to think, I got to do the things that show I'm a believer to be acceptable to God. That's exactly wrong. You can't. If you do that, because you can do some things that to other people look like what a follower of God would do. If you do that, you're a false, mimicking imposter. He doesn't want that. That's That's a false witness. He wants people that believe on God. And God instructs them and leads them, and they do things from a genuine, non-hypocritical place of just trying to please God. Do you see what I'm saying? You can try to please him from a distance, or you can come near to him and let him please himself through you. That's the difference. And he received the sign of the circumcision. So the circumcision that Abraham got, that Israel identifies with, like they circumcised, that's part of the, the Jewish law. That was a sign that he had already been counted as righteous. He was already faithful because he believed God's promise to him. Do you see what I'm saying? The same is true for you. This is a New Testament passage. This is Romans. This is Paul, and Paul's main ministry was to Gentiles. Like, this is to us. God is not looking for you to do godly things for him. He's looking for you to come near to God as you are and let him change you into a person who does godly things. It's a big difference, big, big difference, okay? One is very patient in a process. The other is very impatient in thinking God is hard. God's not hard. He's soft, okay? He's firm, though. <laughs> I had a boss once, and he told me that he had a, he had a health physical done, and the, the physical results were obese but supple. <laughs> I just love that. God's, God's soft but firm. Okay. And I'm not calling God fat. And he received the sign of the circumcision, a seal of righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised. Okay, so he had the seal of the righteousness of the faith, and it says it's the faith he had while he was still uncircumcised. It's the faith that pleases God, okay? That he might be the father of all those who believe. Would that make him the father of you? Yeah, of course. Though they, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father, I'm sorry, I jumped a line, that he may be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. God is trying to give you righteousness. He's not looking for you to give him your righteous acts. He's trying to give you righteousness. He does that when you humble yourself and you're like, I could do all the things that look like a godly person, but if they don't come from godly leadership, they're actually confusion. They're imposters. They're hypocritical. They're not right. They actually give me a hard heart, not a soft heart, a fearful heart, not a loving heart. It will give me, uh, it will give me the, the very same character of the devil who's a liar. We don't want that. We don't want lying good works. We want real ones, okay? The father of the circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, not the steps of righteousness, the steps of faith. Righteousness comes from faith. You see what I'm saying? The steps of faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised, while he was still looking like a worldly guy, he had something burning in his heart that was going to pull him out of the worldliness. That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for people that still have worldly hearts and have an ability, a strength to do things that look like people with burning hearts. Do you see what I'm saying? Get what I'm saying? 
He would count that unrighteous. God would actually judge that as unrighteous. You could do, you could, and in fact, it says it in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, I could know the tongues of men and angels. I could give my body to be burned. I could give away all of my wealth, but without love, it would profit me nothing. God would actually count that unrighteous. We'd be like, but doesn't he want us to help the poor? Does he want us to help the poor? Thank you. How does he want us to help the poor? Yeah, to change our hearts, to change our hearts. Then we both benefit, right? If a person is saved at all, they're saved into hearing and obeying God. That's what you're saved into, if you're really saved at all. If you were saved into anything but that, hearing and obeying, you're not saved. But you can get saved today. And if you want that, I want to pray for you. If you didn't know when you got saved that you were saved to hear God and obey him and that he would do all the Ten Commandments, all the things you're supposed to give up, I just appreciate Barbara's testimony. There's many ways that we reach to try and be godly without actually letting God change us. If you weren't saved into that, I just want to pray for you. Everybody close your eyes right now. I'm not even going to look. I want you to raise your hand. If you weren't saved in that, but you want to be, Holy Spirit, right now, I'm asking, would you mark this person with the seal of salvation? That even today, where they would start to feel free, where the, free, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Would you accept this willing heart to be led by you, to, to hear you this morning, today, in Jesus' name? I declare to you if, you, if you've said yes to him in that way, you are saved. And you can walk out of it if you want to, but if you keep trying to hear God and you keep trying to obey him, he will make you a righteous person. He really will. It's guaranteed. If a person impatiently mimics the works of a safe person outside of the leadership of faith, they are a counterfeit, false, or hypocrite. That's what the Bible's clear about this. And you're in big trouble if you're really good at looking like a Christian and you don't have communication with God leading that. You're in big trouble. I want to tell you for sure. Matthew 23, 5 to 13. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in synagogues, greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. Were they trying to do that? No. That's the leadership of a heart that wants to be God, not be led by God. That's what the leadership of a heart that wants to be righteous but not be led by God, that's what it does. It, it manifests this fruit of wanting to be judged by people to be godly, not by God to be godly. It looks way different. God sees godliness way different than people do. I, I mean, just look at the news. Look at the way people talk about people in the church. And then we find out there's all kinds of rottenness and brokenness and darkness by those most celebrated by the church. God judges holiness way different than people do. He judges it by the truth in the inner parts of the man or the woman. Greetings in the marketplace and be called by men, rabbi, rabbi. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father who is in heaven. And do not be called by anyone, or don't, do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, and for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. They were whitewashed tombs. They looked like holy people to the, all the people of Israel, but they wouldn't go in. That made them worse. It would have been better if they were sinners, and people could have been like, I don't want to be like that guy. But they were holding up a standard of unrighteousness, mimicking the things of God. That's terrible. That's worse. 
You could be the greatest champion against abortion. You could save every baby's life in America. And if there was not the leadership of the father driving that, you would be misleading billions of people on this planet. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not okay with him. He's looking for led people that do things different than man would do, them that accomplish things way different. Jesus accomplished things way different than anyone would call success. He called the cross success. And we can't see the kingdom unless we're born again by the Spirit. So right now, we're all in a process of being born again. What's it look like when a baby's being carried in its mother's tummy? Can it see in, with natural eyes in the world just like we can? No, it doesn't have eyes yet. Can it breathe on its own? Can it eat on its own? Can it walk? Can it talk? No, it can't do any of those things. It's in a process of being born again. And if it tried to, if the little embryo inside of you tried to drive the car, you'd crash. That'd be bad. The little embryo inside you was telling everybody what to do and how to see life and the wisdom of man. We'd be like, you don't know anything. You're not even born yet. That's our state right now. We're not even born yet. We don't know what we shall be, but we know when we see him, we will be like him. We need a lot more patience about good works and a lot more zeal about hearing God, a lot more zeal about hearing God, because that's what forms us. Good works don't form us. Hearing God forms us, and then we become people that do good works. That's a big difference. And I want to show you something about patience here in a second. Keep that in your heart for a second. Most of the works that you're called to a life of will happen in the millennial reign of Jesus. Most of the works that you read about people that know God doing in the Bible, they're going to happen actually in the millennial reign. I want to, it's clear in the Bible that this is true, okay? You are, if you're being saved, in the process of birth right now. Humility finds the patience of this process. Impatient works are rejected by God. They're not rewarded. They're rewarded with hell. Impatient works are rewarded with hell. Ephesians 2, 7 to 10. That, now listen, I underlined it and bolded it for this reason. In the ages to come, everybody say ages to come. Does that mean in the future? It means a different age, doesn't it? It means the age of righteousness. It means when the age of sin is done. It means when the indignation is finished. It's it's when the age of the Gentiles is canceled and the age of righteousness starts. Listen, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That means he's going to show you off in the ages to come. Why? Well, because most of the salvation is going to actually happen in the millennial reign. It's clear in the Bible. There's nations, whole nations, that resist Jesus' leadership in the millennial reign. He says if they do that, no rain's going to fall on their land until they repent. There's a whole discipling of the nations that has to happen. You haven't seen any discipling of the nations yet. You've been, you've been seeing a choosing of a bride out of the last 2,000 years so that she can, with Jesus, disciple the nations. He's going to show off your good works once you're formed, once you're a fully formed, manifested human being. You're not a human being right now. Have you read Genesis 2? Human beings did a lot more than we could do. Adam had a power we've never touched before he fell. He walked with God. You can't see God because of your form right now. You can't even see him. When you're fully manifested as a human being, then you're going to show off the world a life of good works, and you're going to do some of that now. But patience and humility say, I can't really do any of that now without him telling me things and making me things and changing me, forming me. He's just, he's so gracious. He lets embryos do some of the miraculous stuff. But if we're like, I've got to do all the miraculous stuff because if I don't, before he comes back, he's not going to accept me, then you don't know God. He's not like that. 
He took a thief on a cross. He's like, you're going to be with me today in paradise. I'm going to show you off in a life of good works for a thousand years and save people through your testimony. And for 2,000 years, we've been getting saved by a thief's testimony on a cross who in the last seconds of his life said, remember me. Remember me. He had faith. Do you see what I'm saying? He believed. He didn't do any works. He had faith. He went to heaven that day. We have to be a different people. We're being driven by consumeristic messages of what the world wants, not what God wants. What the world wants. The world wants now. The world wants instant. The world wants fix. Save our world. And God's saying, don't you want a world with me? Don't you want all the glory with me? Don't you want the righteousness that I give? How could your righteousness be worth anything? How could it be worth anything? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And not, not that of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When will we walk? That's the big question. When we're done being born again. It doesn't mean we don't walk now. But it means that we set our sights on hearing God, and he will make us people that are helpful to him in the millennial reign. He's looking for a companion for his son. His son is waiting at the right hand of the Father right now for a lot of the things that he paid for already. He's patient. He's waiting. We need to learn how to wait with him. God is much more interested in having your heart's ear right now and much less interested in what you do for him. Those confident in God's love recognize this. Those who feel unloved, how many of you feel unloved? Let's be really honest. I feel unloved. Most of the time, I feel unloved. Most of the time, I feel like if I could just do things a little bit better, people would like me more. I'd be a better consultant. I'd be a better husband. I'd be a better father. But I want to tell you, you are completely, fully loved. You couldn't be any more loved than you are loved right now. He wouldn't have made you if he didn't love you. His son on a cross shows us he's, going, he's willing to go all the way for love. You are completely loved right now. And the whole goal of this being born again, Adam and Eve didn't trust in God's good plan for them. That was it. They just didn't feel loved. They had perfect nature. No sin nature. They had bodies that could entertain the fullness of the brightness of God. But he didn't make them feel loved. Why? It violate love. Right? Tatum, if I was like, Tatum... You got to love me no matter what, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter what I look like, no matter how I make choices for you, you got to love me. Would that be love? No. That'd be slavery. That'd be being forced. So he lets us decide, is he good? Is he for me? Is he right? Is he true? Is he God? Is he love? Does he love me? That's the biggest decision you have to make. Does he love me right now like I am? That would take faith, right? Because you know you and I know you. And I would judge you in a way that God doesn't. And you would judge me in a way that God doesn't. God, if we looked at David, we would judge him in a way God didn't judge him. Every single person that saw David was like, that's not the king. Where's his big brother? Saul was the guy everybody judged to be good. So we have to make a decision this morning. Am I completely loved by God? If so, then I'm free to love. I am actually free to take risks in God that might cost me 
because I'm fully loved. This is the beginning of all of a life of godliness, is just simply deciding I am fully loved right now. Luke 10, 39. So all the impatient works, all the impatience in general, and there's a lot of impatience in the world right now, it's a love problem. If you, were, if you believed you were completely loved, everything's off the line now. It's, I'm free to obey God. I've met the qualification. I said yes. I'm free to obey him now. But because we don't feel that, there's so much uncertainty, so much doubt. There's so much mixture, so much compromise, so much infidelity, so much harlotry. That's what he's getting out. He's, he's separating the wheat from the tear. Now listen, it's a love problem. Luke 10, 39. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet, speaking of Martha, and heard his word. Everybody say, heard his word. That's all she was doing. She's listening to God. That's it. That's her big qualification. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. She chose the same part as Abraham. She just believed that what he was saying was the most important thing. That's it. More than what she did, she had patience. She knew she was going to do something for this man. She's in love with him. Martha thought she was doing things for this man, and she wasn't in love with him. She just wasn't. Which will not be taken away from her. He'll never take it away from you if you choose it. People Jesus is saving set their minds on the heavenly conversation. They go boldly to the throne of grace, is the way it says in Hebrews 10. And then tell others the testimony of their process. Of their process. They don't boast of their good works. In fact, if you do, according to the Sermon on the Mount, you lose the reward for them. They tell people the process God has used to take them and change them into people that feel loved. That's the testimony is how he's making me feel loved. You know, the testimony of the Samaritan woman is, he told me everything I ever did. Come, let's follow him. She felt loved. Even though he knew all of her junk, she's like, he still wants me. This is happening more and more. So that when you tell others the testimony of your process of, feel, of learning to feel loved, you stir each other up into a life of good works even more and more. That's Hebrews 10 I'm describing to you. This is happening more and more right now all around us as Jesus returned nears. It's, it says it in the Bible. You can believe it. You can go ahead and believe there are people getting holy all around us, not by their works, by their love, by their actual decision to feel good that Jesus's ear, that they have Jesus' ear and that he's, got, he's willing to talk to them and that they can be in this conversation with him, and it, it, it is not a waste of time. That it actually is the only way that they're going to become people that are righteous and a good witness of him on the earth. It's not a waste of time to sit and listen to Jesus. If you just think about it, I mean, just practically, if you sit and listen to Jesus, and Jesus loves the world more than you do, wouldn't he be like, get up and go do something, if, if he wanted something done? It's just you don't think, you, you know, blanket all of us, don't think he loves the world more than we do. We think we love the world better and that sitting with him is selfish, but it's not. It's good for you. It feels good. It's called faith. It's patience. It's believing God is better than you at taking care of the world, and he is. So the bride or the wheat is becoming more patient about works and more zealous to hear God, and the harlot or the tares are becoming less patient to change the earth and less zealous to wait on hearing God. We don't have time for all that here in God. We got to go fix some stuff. It's all breaking. That's the harlot. That's what the harlot says. The bride says, if I don't hear him, I can't help anyway. <laughs> I got to hear him. How many people feel completely confident when you hear God? That's it. That's what he said. I'm going to go do the thing. Good. 
You're in the process. You're being born again. That's good. So in humility, we say, Lord, I want to I wait with you. I want to move when you say move. I want to wait when you say wait. I want to hear you. I want to learn. I want to be in this process of growing and hearing the voice of my beloved so that at the end of the Song of Songs, I can check on the harvest with him. At the beginning of the Song of Songs is the, is the, the Shulamite told, go check on the harvest if you want to be mine. No, that was her problem. <laughs> I'm dark but lovely. I'm attending everybody else's vineyards. He's like, come sit by the shepherd's tents, <laughs> right? At the end, we'll be checking on the harvest together. Are you patient? Are you humble? Do you recognize you barely hear me? How can you go help me if you can barely hear me, right? This is kind of simple. Okay, the impatient and fleshly who cannot see process as righteousness, and I'm describing everybody, so don't feel condemned. The impatient and fleshly, that's me and you, who cannot see process as righteousness. Now, why is it so hard to see this process as righteousness? Well, because you got a devil, your adversary, roaming about looking for places in your heart that feel shame. He's actually looking for the places you feel ashamed, then he pokes it. He's like, you're not righteous, you're not righteous, you're not qualified, you should just quit, you should walk away. They don't like you anyway, he doesn't like you anyway. There's a devil that touches your flesh, but you got to decide in your heart, I'm not listening to that. I'm believing the word, and the word is clear. So the impatient and the fleshly are those afflicted by the devil who cannot see process as righteousness will hate the patient and those who see the righteousness of faith. And what is going to result is a cross or a war against the patient and the faithful. That's clear in the Bible. It's always been the case. Patient and faithful people that just listen to God and do what he says, those religious people that want to get the things of God done end up hating them and killing them. It happens over and over. We can see it all over the 1040 window right now. It's not irreligious people killing Christians. It's religious people killing Christians. They just have a different picture of God, and he's not nice. He's mad, and he's going to kill people that don't do what he wants. That's not our God. <laughs> That's not our God. Okay? Can we agree about that? That's not our God? All right. Without a cross, you are not in the process of salvation. If you don't have some people annoyed at the way that you want to hear God and do what he says, only what he says, then you're actually not in the process of salvation. You should actually be annoying all of us with the way you hear God saying something different to you than he does to us, and it should take us a hot minute to be like, wait a second, that is actually what God's saying. And in that interim moment of, hey, I heard God and nobody gets that I heard God, that's where your heart grows. That's where you grow in faith. This happened to Abraham. This happened to David. This happened to Daniel. This happened to everybody. This has to happen to you. You actually have to be willing to say, I heard something. It's not what my flesh would pick. I know. I get that you don't think it, that we should do it because it's not what your flesh would pick, but it is what he's saying, and I'm going to do it. And then over time, we mature. That conflict becomes less and less and less, and we become a pure and spotless bride that doesn't agree with each other about Jesus. We agree with Jesus about each other, right? This is unity. This is biblical unity. So Mark 8, 33 to 38. Biblically, a cross only comes from hearing. I want to say this really clear. Because the Lord said it to me this morning. This is the only way a cross comes. It comes from hearing and standing unashamed with Jesus. If you stand ashamed with Jesus, you will elicit pity for yourself. So that's why it says when you fast, don't look all bedraggled. And I'm fasting. That's your reward. No, you stand unashamed. I'm fasting. Nobody needs to know, but God, I'm going to do it. You get rewarded. If you get the word of the Lord and you're like, oh, pity me. This is so hard. It's terrible. I mean, everybody starts this way. But at some point, you have to be unashamed. And if you're unashamed, people take that as arrogant. 
And then they're like, no. And you got to be, that's good. That's what, that's the, that no is like a, oh, it's like a lifting of the weight. It's making, it's exercising my faith. And then you stay patient and you say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because I'm going to save that one. Jesus saved a ton of people that were witnessing the cross. Do you know that? Do you know there's a whole sect of the Pharisees described in the book of Acts? Like there were people that killed him that he's like, Father, forgive him. I'm saving that one. I see that one. He's going to change his mind and pick truth. Now you have to be the same way. You carry the truth of, the, of the, what God's saying. You don't quit everybody, go off by yourself. I mean, he corrected Elijah about this, right? He's like, Elijah, you're not the only one, man, but I feel like the only one. Of course you do. That's how I'm building your faith, right? Otherwise, I'd be building consensus, and Jesus isn't a consensus builder. Quite, quite the opposite. Okay. Mark 8, 33 to 38. Wow, the time is just disappearing. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and, everybody say it, my words. This is all about what God says to a person and them standing on it. That's, that, that is what a cross is about, historically, just in the news, biblically. Everywhere you look, it's about people hearing God, other people that think they know God, not believing them, getting impatient. And if that person stays faithful and unashamed, they will eventually get enough resistance to make them a witness or a martyr. Or a, and sometimes they die, sometimes. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. See, all this is going to get reconciled not here on the earth before Jesus comes. It's going to get reconciled in the millennial reign because he's got a life of good works. That, that I'm going to make the synagogue of Satan come and worship at your feet, when is that going to happen? That's a millennial reign reality. He's going to show off the life of good works from the righteousness of faith in the age to come. Do you see what I'm saying? In the ages, actually, more than one. I love watching the Lord of the Rings for this reason, because I'm always like, what? Middle Earth, Second Age, Third Age, what the heck is that? That, does, that sounds crazy. That's, that's biblical. There are ages. I'm not saying. <laughs> the, the, I'm not saying there are orcs. What I'm saying is this idea that there's way more time than we've ever experienced is real. It's true, and we should be living like it's true, okay? Okay, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What would make someone, this is a question, I should have put a question mark here, but I didn't. What would make someone who wanted to follow God ashamed of his words? I mean, if this is true, and we all love Jesus, why would we ever be ashamed of his words? I'd never be ashamed of his words. You tell me something, I'm going to stand on it. Why would we ever be ashamed of his words? Doubt. I don't know if I heard God. Nobody else is saying that's what he said. Nobody's like giving me likes on Facebook for saying it. Nobody's patting me on the back. Nobody, people are actually resisting me. I don't even know if I heard God. I'm causing all this trouble, all this disruption, all this disunity, and it's in faith that I actually heard you. And then I have to take a step back and say, would you talk to somebody like me? And then I take a step back and I think, I'm sinful and I'm 
selfish and I'm arrogant. And the next thing I know, I'm cowering in a corner. Did God really say? But I have to actually be a person that says, he loves me not by my works, not on my own merit, because he made me. And I believe that. And I want his leadership. And the Bible says that if I get his leadership, I'm going to get this resistance. And I'm going to actually count this joy. And I'm going to stand before people and I'm going to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but I'm counting it all joy that I'm getting the resistance because that's proof that I heard you. Do you have that witness in your life? If you don't, you don't have a cross. And you must have a cross to enter life. You must. Do you have this witness? Do you have a a story of this? You should have a story in your life. It might be my kids. My kids didn't believe me, but I heard God and I said the thing. It might be my husband. It might be my wife. It might be something so small, but it's a cross. Do you have it? If you don't, you have a big problem called you're not listening to God and then saying what he's saying in the situations that are hard and require a witness of God's glory because he wants to bring his government to the earth. We've got to have it. Doubt, because of the word, contradicts what we feel. The word that he gives us, it contradicts what we feel. That's how we know it's from him, actually. It's one of the ways. Now, you can't go, George Costanza, opposite religion. That doesn't work. you got to hear God. There's some things that he's already taught you that his word should agree with. Okay. Those who follow the Holy Spirit's leadership do things apart from what they feel. Everybody say feel. One of the first things, if somebody gives a prophetic word, the first thing you're going to say is, in your heart, if you're, if you're like every other human, oh, they're doing that because they feel something certain that they want done. But people that listen to God, they don't say what they feel. They actually say what God feels, and it costs them what they feel. And we have to be a people that look at each other and we're like, okay, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that that's not your leadership, that that's God. I'm going to actually ask God, did you say that? Are you saying that? I'm going to take the person out of it. I'm not going to assume that's what they feel. I'm going to assume the Bible's true. They don't feel that at all. They're actually, that costs them something to say it. And then I'm going to go to God. I'm going to say, God, what are you saying to me about that thing? I'm not even going to ask him if he said it. I'm going to say, what are you saying to me about that thing? And he might say, I didn't say that. But he will have said that, and then you can prophesy that to yourself. That is not what the Lord's saying. This is what he's saying. You know what he's saying. You're not just doubting what somebody said. You know what he's saying. If you're operating in the spirit of prophecy, do you see what I'm saying? If we did this, it would radically change the expression of Jesus, of following Jesus on the planet. If we did this, he would put so much power on us, we can't even imagine. And I'm not saying like healing signs and wonders. I'm saying the ability to love one another because we just believe everybody here is trying to hear God and doing what he says. And we start, stop doubting their motivations and we let God tell us why. That would be a big difference, okay? And there's, this doesn't happen mostly on the earth at all, nor has it, but it will. It will. And that's why we're here. This is our core value. And this core value creates the thing we all call the washing machine. And what I'm describing is the washing machine, okay? Or what, you know, it's just a weak term that God gave me at some point in time. So those who follow the Holy Spirit's leadership do things apart from what they feel. This makes no sense to those who make decisions by how they feel about a set of choices. So mostly when we're asked to make a decision, we're seeing a dichotomy, a set of choices, a good or an evil, a yes or a no, a black or a white. But God, he doesn't see things that way. There are things that are true. But we have to recognize we are infants or embryos, really, in a womb, being raised up 
in that it'd be like asking our children, you know, to, to explain to us, you know, rocket science or something like that. Like, we can't possibly expect them to know those answers. And they might be like, you know, this thing is good, this thing is bad with regard to rockets. I'd be like, well, it's a little more than that. You know, that would blow up, I assume. I don't know anything about rocket science. But the point I'm trying to make is we have to have the humility to recognize there are more than just a dichotomy in every decision. There's the leadership of God. There's more than a formula that he's looking for. He's not looking for good automatons that have been programmed correctly and execute his will on the earth just right. He's looking for people that consider things with his emotions, his mind, his will in mind, and then they let him over time, forever, for eternity, lead them into more and more righteousness. If we did that, decisions would look way less weighty on the front end. We'd make them probably a little bit more quickly with the help of the Holy Spirit, more prophetically. And then when it goes wrong, which it will, we don't say, oh, I got it wrong. We say, God, take me through this, right? You got me into this. Take me through it. That's how biblical people talk. Take me through it. Okay, but this process makes no sense to people that don't have confidence that they can hear God. You've got to have confidence you can hear God. The impatient think God is a hard man and is evaluating them on what they can produce on their own. They just want to know what is required and go do it. But what is required is one thing. And Jesus said it. David said it. Daniel lived it. All the disciples knew it you got to hear God. That's the thing that's required. And whatever he says, that's what we do. And it will, it will seemingly contradict itself sometimes. You read the Bible, there are moments you're like, wait a second. I thought you were healing people this way, and then you made some mud and put the mud in their eyes. You healed people that way. I mean, he does things in a variegated way. God, you were funny. Okay, now... Thank you. What is God saying is the only factor in the decision-making of the faithful? Let's all ask him this right now. God, what are you saying? All right, on the count of three. One, two, three. God, what are you saying? Every decision that we make should start with this part of the process. God, what are you saying? And whatever he's saying, even if it disagrees with what we feel, that's what the goal is to do that thing. If we did that, righteousness would abound everywhere. Righteousness would abound everywhere. It's the only factor in the decision-making of the faithful. And this gets the faithful across from the emotional or rational in the flesh. I was told once, you are way too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. That's biblically untrue. It's impossible. You cannot be too heavenly-minded to be good on earth. You actually have to be more heavenly-minded to be any help to the earth. Okay? We don't try to find a cross. It's a temptation. When you hear somebody say, if you don't have a cross, you're not saved. I know that's provocative. It's intentionally provocative. And the flesh says, I got to go find some people that are mad at me. That's not what that means. <laughs> I got to say some stuff in a hard way. See, so I can uh, provoke. We don't find a cross. We try to hear and then agree with God, and a cross finds us. Setting our minds on what heaven is saying and doing and lining up our lives with it is how a cross is embraced. Not looking for a spiritual fight on the earth in the name of Jesus. Jesus isn't looking for a spiritual fight on the earth. I mean, look at the way he carried his heart. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father's not looking for a spiritual fight on the earth. If the Father was looking for a spiritual fight on the earth, A, there'd be no humanity left, none. B, he'd have no love because there'd be nobody 
that could resist him. No one could spiritually resist God. He made your spirit. He knit it. And then he filled it. Okay? And all he's waiting for us is to be like, okay, God is here. If I'm making these decisions, that's crazy. God is here. If I'm trying to figure out what to do, that's a waste of time. God is here. Yes, between here and there is a whole lot of me, a whole lot of emotions. It is hard to hear God about the things I care about. I can hear God about you all day long. Hearing God about me, I mean, this is the story of the Bible. David was the man after God's heart. He was the most prophetic man in his generation. He was one of the only people that the Bible records being filled with the Holy Spirit. When there were things that he was emotional about, God sent a prophet to talk to David. God is here. It's crazy for me to use this when I have this, but between here and here is a whole lot of me. That's why we come here. Between here and here is a whole lot of my emotions, my shame, the way I was raised, the fears that I have, the anxieties I have, the pride that I have, the dreams that I have that I want God to fulfill, but I don't think he's going to do it because he wouldn't really do that for me, but he told me it's going to happen, so I'm going to make it happen. And the earth is covered in biblical harlotry for this reason. Do you see what I'm saying? God is here. Philippians 3, 18 to 21, for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you, weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Then they're walking. They look like Christians. They're enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, everybody say will, transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Has Jesus subdued all things to himself? Did he say it's finished? He said it's finished. It is finished. He said all authority in heaven, earth, under the earth has been given to me. Was he lying? Is he patient? Very patient. Because I'd be like, Jesus, I don't think there's authority. You Mardi Gras, that doesn't look like it's under your authority. <laughs> Mardi Gras. He's patient. He's waiting for a voluntary submission to love, to wisdom. It is finished. It's just his definition of finish is the Father's. Now, you know, I just want you to imagine in the Father's defense of time that you've been alive for one trillion trillion years and that it's been 6,000 years. From his perspective, it's finished, right? We're just not as big as God, so time looks a lot bigger to us. But to him, a day is a 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is a day. It is finished. It is all under his feet. And he says, you're a new creation. But are you patient enough to wait until that is clear? In the arrogance of your mind, thinking that you got to go do a bunch of good works for God, are you willing to say, hey, you know what? It's worth it. There's lots of time to do all those good works. I want to hear him. I actually want to sit before him. The world's not going to die if I don't go save it. I want to hear him. 
worship team wants to come back up. If you want that, now that you would, you would be an anthema to the world right now, an anathema to most of the church right now. If you were like, you know, I'm not going to jump into the action plan that's going to save all the lives. I'm actually going to be a witness that I can't save anyone. I'm just going to wait on him. I'm going to sit at his feet. And I know if I do that, I'll take the most valuable thing I've got, my perfume, and I will pour it out. Now, I want you to tell you something. Mary did not look faithful to anybody when she poured out the, the perfume on Jesus' feet. When she let her tears, the secretions from her body, fall on this glorious God-man's body. When she took her hair, her harlot hair, her dirty hair, and wiped it on her feet. In retrospect, 2,000 years later, because Jesus vindicated her, we're like, that is love. But that was offensive when that happened. That was a huge risk she took. She had to believe she was acceptable to this man she thought was God. She made a faith choice. She believed something. It created works. We see the works that Mary did. Jesus saw what she believed about how he felt about her. Do you see what I'm saying? You want that? Stand with me. We're going to ask him for it. He's going to give us a life of good works. Guaranteed. If we will learn how to hear him, you will always have good works to do forever. Ages to come. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what is in his heart. There's so much more than the best science fiction author could ever come up with. There's so much more beauty and brilliance and excitement billions and billions and billions and billions of years he's forming us right now we're embryos if we could have the humility to see it holy spirit in this room let's raise our hands before him father give us humility right now god that we would see what we bring to the table and what you bring to the table right now that we would let you form us god god that we'd let you speak to us that we'd believe faint words from heaven and we'd be okay even if we're wrong because you're looking for faith you're looking for faith. God, fill this room with faith this week. Faith as we pray. Faith as we walk in the door, talk to each other. Faith as we figure out what needs to be done or what's going to happen or who needs love or who needs a word. Faith, God. Faith, faith, faith. Fill this room with the fiery love of your faith, with confidence before God. Fill this room with confidence before God. In the name of Jesus.